0: Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1148, with guests Steve Smith and Brendan enrick Recorded Tuesday, June 2nd, 2015.
0: Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin,
2: and this is Richard Campbell,
0: and we're here for another hour. Uh, Steve Smith is here, Brendan Enrick is here. We're going to be having a, a, a good, fun talk about the whole calendar thing. That they I do. think
2: it's going to be a silly show. I yeah. have a sneaking suspicion.
0: <laughs> we got to do these once in a while, but the yeah, calendars yeah. are so awesome. Yeah. So uh, how you been, my friend?
2: Things are good. I'm in the midst of planning for the wife's fiftieth birthday. Oh boy! And you know. I'm very unrestrained. <laughs> oh, it's so great, it's yep. so great to see
0: you guys like this.
2: I've been hunting down friends of hers from elementary school.
0: Oh my gosh! Wanna, really? I'm
2: trying to get somebody from every decade of her life.
0: Oh, that's over the top. And
2: I'm counting on the fact that she won't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell her not to. She won't. <laughs> Don't listen. She's immersed in her clothing industry thing, man. Like they she when she starts talking her version of geek, I have no idea what she's saying. It's, yeah. That's it's right. just as bizarre. She has memorized the decimal values of every 32nd of an inch because it's a necessary part of her job.
0: That is so awesome. It's bizarre. You used to have this great phrase. What did you say? I'm a software engineer, my wife is a industrial designer, when we argue it requires a spreadsheet. Yes. that's it (laughs) alright well let's roll the music because I got something for you
3: alright
0: buddy what is it this is of course better know a framework this is where I find things that are lurking on the internet and buried deep in the .NET framework somewhere That, uh, well, I haven't done one of those in a long time. But (laughs) anyway, stuff that's helpful for you that I can just show you quickly. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash z extensions, and that's Z E X T E N T I O N S. Looks like zextensions. Zextensions, yes. This is, uh, well, it's a, a great project of extension methods, and it's a library in a library form. And there's, as you can guess, You know, hundreds of them. And uh, I'll just highlight a couple here that are my favorites. You have extensions to iCollection, like add if. Add if not contains. Nice. Add range if. Add range if not contains. Contains all, contains any. Is empty, is not empty. Things that you actually test for a lot when you're using collections.
2: Yeah, sure. How
0: about dictionary? Add if not contains key. That's just brilliant, right? Yeah.
2: Just save this, all the code you would have written anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love and it.
0: And it goes on and on and on. And there, are, uh, I don't know how many, but hundreds and hundreds of, of, uh, extension methods. Extension methods are, of course, um, things that extend existing classes. So very, very helpful. And especially in a library form where you can just, you know, go to new get, put it in there and then everything works. So there you go, Z Collections. Know it, learn it, love it. Who's talking to us, Richard Campbell?
2: That was a good one, buddy. I love it. that yeah. was cool. And and really, I mean, not part of the .NET framework per se, but a a good piece in the toolkit. No toys about
0: it. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's it's going into my standard toolkit of NuGet add-ins.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's a keeper. Yep. So I grabbed a comment off of show 1142. That's the one we did with Bob Rieselman. We were talking about, uh, craftsman's approach to software development. Cause, you know, in the, as much fun as we have with these calendars, it's really a discussion about craftsmanship. Sure. And, uh, we just had one of these conversations and, and this is, who's this fellow here? Uh, Stephen Smith. Yes. Yeah, Stephen Smith says, uh, just a week ago, it is definitely true that most college grads, computer science grads mainly, can't write simple programs. I've always tried to mitigate risk in my companies, so something my wife and I did very successfully, when we, who have both been on the show, by the way, Mm -hmm. when we ran our companies, is we would hire interns from local universities. We would interview them, and after we got a couple of good ones through pure trial and error, we would use their network to identify other good candidates through their direct relationship with students and then their relationships with professors. This led us to an inside track on the sharpest students. The internships were always paid Mm -hmm. and typically lasted for a summer or a semester, which we didn't expect to make any money on, billable work or real project progress. We considered a three-month-long interview. At the end of the period, it was always very obvious to everyone on my team whether they were going to cut it, and we would keep them on as part-time developers once the internship ended, usually with a small pay increase. At this point, they would quickly start to earn their keep in terms of production. We would aim for interns with some time left before graduations, perhaps a summer before their third year, so that we'd have almost two years to really build their skills and get ROI on the time we spent training them and the time spent on interns who didn't work out. Upon graduation, we'd make them an offer, and pretty much in every case they would accept it. I really can't recall any time that it didn't. Because by then, they knew our team, our values, and how we worked. And typically, they knew this wasn't how most companies did things. It worked very well. And if you could afford such a, quote, marathon, not a sprint view of things, I highly recommend it as a way to grow your team over a few years. And it, there's a couple of things I really appreciated in this. One was this idea that, I mean, I don't care who you are. Other than you being, you're an experienced dev being dropped into a known skill, the first three months on a new team, tough to be productive whether you call that an internship or an interview or anything like that, like those first three months, it's very tough to be productive. And the other part was, this is all about culture, right? Like it it is always a marathon. You're talking about years worth of commitment. So, you know, you care enough about your culture to let people get involved and be able to walk away properly. That's a long-term set of thinking. Sure is. So, Steve, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks rug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our social media sites. We're on Facebook, we're on the Google Plus with almost nobody else, and (laughs) if we we find your comment over there, we'll send you a mug as well. And of course, uh, we tweet at Carl Franklin and
0: at Rich Campbell. So send us a tweet. Let us know what you're up to. And that brings us to our guest today, starting with Steve. Steve Smith is an entrepreneur and a software developer with a passion for building quality software as effectively as possible. He's currently the chief technology officer at Falafel Software. Steve has published several courses on Pluralsight covering DDD, solid, design patterns, and software architecture. He's a Microsoft Regional Director and MVP, a frequent speaker at developer conferences, an author, and a trainer. Along with his wife and business partner, Michelle Smith, Steve was also the founder of Lake Quincy Media, acquired by The Code Project, and Nimble Pros, which was acquired by Telerik. Steve's an ex-Army engineer, officer, and Iraq veteran who enjoys playing games and spending time outdoors. Steve maintains a blog at Ardalis.com, A-R-D-A-L-I-S.com, and is active on Twitter as at Ardalis. He maintains a professional Facebook page at some big long URL that I can't read on the air. <laughs> and you can find out more about Steve at about.me slash Stephen A. Smith. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Carl. Hi, Richard. All hey, right. man.
2: Nice comment. Thanks.
0: And Brendan Enrich is a principal software engineer with Clear Measure, focusing a great deal of his time on agile and software craftsmanship methodologies. Brendan is a proponent of strong development communities. He's a site author, and along with two other community members, Brendan helped found the Hudson Software Craftsmanship User Group in 2009. He's also involved in organizing other free educational events in the Cleveland and Akron, Ohio area. Brendan is a conference and user group speaker who enjoys running workshops and hands-on labs with anyone willing to learn. Welcome, Brendan.
3: Hi, Carl. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, you bet. And uh, what did you think of the, uh, the
2: comment there? Seemed like a smart guy.
3: Yeah, that guy really sounds smart. Steve
0: Smart guy, we moved on.
2: Yeah, next. yeah, okay. Brandon, how long have you worked with Steve? I just you guys worked together for a long time, I think.
0: Uh, we worked together for about
2: eight years, I think. Uh, were you an intern or anything? Did you go through this process?
3: I was an intern. Oh uh, goodness. I was actually the first intern through that process and was the one that did everything well, I'm the first one that successfully made it through. Steve's doing a little hand wave over here, because there was <laughs> one that dated me that didn't make it through the internship, the uh, three-month-long interview, as it were. There's value in finding ones that don't work out, too.
0: Absolutely.
1: Like the, the, the light bulbs that,
0: uh, you know, the filaments that don't work. Yep. You know, speaking of interns, I got an intern story from Pwop. Uh I was approached by a local high school, where my daughter went to high school, actually, and... Uh, who wanted, uh, there was a student who wanted specifically to intern here at the studio for audio engineering and production and all that stuff and recording. I said, great. So I took him on and he came in. He's a sharp kid. Oh my God. He was sharp. He just sucked everything up. We did, we did ear training where, uh, I had him turn around and then I raised and lowered frequencies of white noise and he could tell me what range they were in. He got really, really good at it. Anyway, this kind of guy is just very sharp. Everything that he touches, just he gets it, you know. And so he saw me writing some code one day, and he's like, "Oh, that looks cool." And then I started telling him about software development. He goes, "Wow, that sounds neat." So then we started doing some programming instead of audio engineering, and he got hooked. And now he's uh, he's going he wants to be a programmer. He totally changed his mind. Cool. Is he going to keep doing stuff with you then? No. Well, no. I think I believe he's going to uh, get some training. He's going to a um, uh, training uh, for developer developer training event.
2: And And you've ruined another career. I've
0: ruined another career. Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Another audio engineer. I talked him out
0: of the lucrative, uh, money rich, filled with intelligent (laughs) people uh, music business, you know. And those
2: 40 hour days and people berate (laughs) you the entire time and then you make a buck. (laughs) Those, yes.
0: Or software. One of the reasons I'm not in the music business is, you know, no offense, music business people, but you're pretty freaking dumb, okay? (laughs) I just needed to be around some smart people. Anyway, that's my story. So uh yeah, interns. Good good idea.
2: And, <laughs> and just a yeah, great way to gradually integrate people.
0: It's all about the culture. And uh as far as, you know, um giving people quizzes of uh, you know rudimentary software development stuff, this is a tip that I got from Steve when interviewing people for App Next. Ask them to on the spot write a uh a console app that spits out prime numbers between one and a hundred. And, and I said, really? You really think anyone would have the, the cajones to apply for a programming job with me and not be able to do that. And he says, you'd be surprised. And guess what?
2: I was surprised. <laughs> 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 oh man. Don't test the, even numbers. It's a pretty good place to start. <laughs> I'm just saying. Some people just like, you
0: know, innovated in how to do this well. And then others just couldn't get
2: past four. Wow. Yeah. Should we talk about calendars? Let's. Because there was, I mean, you, Steve, you've been on the show repeatedly doing these calendars, but there was no calendar last year. No, unfortunately there wasn't. Or this year, I guess.
1: We, we heard uh, from a bunch of people around, you know, end of last year, beginning of this year, where's the calendar for this year? And, right. and Brendan and I both on, on social media and emails got a whole lot of folks, you know, asking about it. So we thought we should really try and do one again.
0: Now, to be uh, clear, this calendar was under many different company banners, right? And that's because yeah. it's really your thing. But- yeah, it,
1: it was started when we were Nimble Pros. And then after Nimble Pros was acquired, we we did two more. Um, but last year, with us both changing employers, um, it, it didn't
2: happen. Yeah. And so okay. now we're going to do it again because I love it. And it's an anti-pattern calendar, right? Oh uh,
0: well, um, or it was once.
3: So it was an anti-pattern calendar last year, or the the last year we did it, which would be 2014. But it was positive things in 2013, anti-patterns in 2012, and positive in 2011. Okay. But even when it's positive things. We still basically show a picture of an anti-pattern because they are a lot funnier.
0: Well, that's that's what I remember is all the great right. funny yeah. pictures that uh, go along with whatever principle or anti-pattern that you're trying to uh, illustrate. So what do we got this year? You, you got links for us to actually see the pictures? Well, because we're not doing this through our employers, um,
1: this is the first time we're actually going to try and fund this with Kickstarter. And so this is the first time I've ever done anything with my own Kickstarter project. I know, Carl, you've got some experience there. Yeah. Brendan, this is your first as well, right? That is correct. Um, So part of our goal for this show is to draw attention to the Kickstarter project that I literally launched as we were starting the the conversation um, on the show. And I just sent you the link, Carl, that uh, you can hopefully include in the show notes and, and maybe read off. I don't know. Okay. Um, but, but the idea is, uh, that we'll try and get the funding from the Kickstarter in order to cover the, the cost for the designer. Um, again, neither Brendan nor I as a designer. So we, we've got the same designer that did the work on the last calendar we published. Uh, and that would be the 2014 one, which I thought turned out great. He also does, uh, the photography and, and the sketch work. So he's, he's great, but he's not free. Uh, and then the printing costs are substantial. It's around $10,000 or so. Oh boy. Uh, give or take a little bit, depending on how big a print run we do. But uh, at that point, you know, adding another thousand calendars or something is is a marginal increase in the total cost. Okay. Um, so it's, it's pretty much 10 grand is is where we need to be to, to do
0: a print run uh, for the calendars. Okay. So I tiny URL to that uh, link, the Kickstarter link. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash 2016, so, Software Craftsmanship Calendar 2016, SCCal 2016. That brings you to the Kickstarter campaign. So you just pulled this off. You say you have uh, uh, 30 days to raise 10 grand, and you uh, you do have a video there. So is the video of calendars from days past? Is that the story?
1: Yeah, Brandon and I put together a short video that kind of talks about the the process, what's involved in uh, creating a calendar. A little bit of the history.
3: We walked through some of the sketches that are in there, uh, as well as uh, basically walking through one full uh, calendar page uh, from the sketch to some of the images that are taken uh, while we're doing that to the final version that actually shows up in the calendar. So if you remember, February of 2014 was Mushroom Management. Uh, we walked through that one completely so you can see that video. Uh, and actually, see what went into creating it.
0: So I love how you insult your audience and potential donors right off the bat. You say about this project, most software being written today is crap. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, <laughs> but we're that not
0: includes that you. Audience's software is
3: crap. <laughs> oh, so you're telling me that you too. Have written all pristine code in your entire career.
0: Everything oh, no, you know, most written. software oh, I've no. written is crap. You're absolutely right, but you know, <laughs> if I, I that might yeah that might seem insulting to somebody who's about to drop some money for you. So this <laughs> calendar
3: is mildly insulting.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and have we mentioned that they make good gifts for those developers that really need these calendars? <laughs>
3: <laughs> what are you trying to say? Yeah. There, there are quite a few developers that we want to send the calendar to <laughs> all the time, and we're afraid that they either won't get the message or will get the message.
2: Yeah, yeah, you don't know which one is worse. Yes. <laughs> so this uh, this project shows raising thirty thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, that's to cover the cost for the designer. Um, he's going to be probably another ten k, and then if the if it gets beyond that, we'll be able to to print a larger print run. I right, see.
2: Right. I see. Okay, so I mean, basically, you're asking us just to pre-order the calendar. We already know we want it. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's there's the usual caveats with a Kickstarter that you know there's risks that you know it might not happen for whatever reason, but I don't think those are huge in our case. Um, the Kickstarter project requires us to outline those, but pretty much it's uh, if we get hit by a bus or something uh, and we're not able to complete it because we've done this before, we know what's involved. Sure. Um, there's a little bit of a time crunch because we need to get everything kind of ready to go to the printer by October 1st in order to have the calendars ready by like November. Right. Uh, but but other than that, it's, it's pretty much just a, a creative process that uh, we'll go through along with the community in this case. That's one of the things we want to talk about with you guys is um, some ideas for this coming calendar uh, and then working with the designer to actually turn up something cool
2: interesting because yeah i mean usually when we've done a show about the calendar we've talked about the months because you've already got them planned out
1: yeah definitely we usually talk in you know october or or november where we've already got the calendar in hand we can send you one and we go through it together and it's a lot of fun and this is the first time we've talked about hey maybe we're going to do a calendar what should
2: go in it so have you got a list you got some ideas
1: yeah we do um richard you sent me a your Feature Hub, Feet Hub link for... Yeah, I started uh, using
2: yeah. it for the Geek Out shows.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was awesome. That was a good idea. So I set one up for the craftsmanship calendar ideas. Um, I sent that to you in an email. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. We can
0: we can tiny URL that as well, I hope. Okay, so if you go to tinyurl.com slash sccal2016ideas, that'll bring you to the Feet Hub uh, page. So we have, uh, well... I see some that have already been there, right? I mean, some that you've already done in uh, other calendars. I know the dry principle you've done already, right?
3: Uh, yeah, we've we've definitely not done that one twice already because we follow that principle
0: exactly. <laughs> Jeez, exactly, exactly what I was thinking.
2: Only do it once. Yeah. Well, it looks like this list is partially you know, good craftsmanship practices, which I guess you're good then going to play with to turn into something funnier. Or how do you do this badly?
0: So I see over 20 here. How many of these uh, haven't you done before?
1: Um, there's a few new ones in there, like collective code ownership we haven't done. Once and only once we haven't done. Vertical slices we haven't done. Uh, pain-driven development and composition over inheritance. Some of these things, it's, you know, if they're uh, a a software principle, it can be very challenging to try and come up with a visualization for that that's, you know, obvious to someone that looks at it that knows software development, but still interesting enough for someone walking by to to take notice of. Uh, And usually we try and have it be a little bit punchy or, or humorous as well. So, you know. Depending on what the thing is, it can be it can be difficult to come up with.
0: I can't think of anything funny for pain-driven development. I don't know—is it me
2: or is it? <laughs> I mean, there's
0: so many options there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the the picture of the guy banging his keyboard, his head on the keyboard, is an obvious one for pain-driven development. Or, then yeah, it's the
0: tagline. Or keyboard imprints in his forehead.
2: That's right. It's
0: another one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, this, that's it. A, a, a guy looking at looking stunned with the home row embedded on his forehead. I'm like, no, really, I'm fine.
0: It says QWERTY. <laughs> it says T backwards.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, really, I'm I'm fine.
0: Of course, we're gonna ship on time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Done by Monday.
0: Yeah. Uh. Well, what about vertical slices? Did you have any ideas for that? What What is vertical slices anyway? What's that so story? vertical
3: slices is the idea that uh, when you're building your software, you want to do a full slice that goes through every layer of the application rather than building one layer at a time. So, for example, uh, if you were to ever want to see how far along you are in the system, if all you have is a data access layer, for example, it's completely worthless. Right. But if you get a full vertical slice of one feature, you have a UI layer for that feature, you have the business uh, logic for that feature. Yep. You have the database layer for that. You have everything there. And that one feature works. Yeah, so that's I, a vertical slice. I
0: remember working on a project in the 90s where uh, the the job started with the database. And everybody agreed that the database had to be built first, all the store procedures. And and you know there was no vertical slice. It was just that layer. And that layer had to be done to... Pretty much completion before we moved on to anything else. I got to tell you, that didn't work out so well.
2: Yeah. I got a visualization for you. Big chocolate cake cut horizontally, laid, you know, beside (laughs) itself. So, like, a layer of just icing, a layer of, you know, bit of cake, it's side by side, and it's just, like, vertical slices. Because horizontal slices are dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That would be good. Yes. I'm making notes. I'm, I'm adding this into the GitHub stuff right now. Not
1: bad, Richard. Not yeah. bad. You guys can vote too, you know.
2: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to vote and we're going to and, and write some comments and stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Another
1: one uh, we haven't done before is Bus Factor, which which I think is an important one. That, um, have you guys talked about Bus Factor on the show before?
0: No, no. Go ahead.
1: So Bus Factor basically refers to um, how many individuals on your project are essential, like how many people on your project would have to get hit by a bus to put the project at risk? <laughs> and the idea is, of course, you want to have a higher bus factor than a lower one, so that if somebody goes on vacation, wins the lottery, gets another job, or gets hit by a bus, uh, your project can continue to to move forward.
0: I was just listening to a show on NPR where there's an epidemic in America of people not taking vacations, even those that whose employers pay them to take paid vacations. Um, they don't take them because they're afraid they're going to get behind at work or whatever. Or, and it, it, this is related because what happens if one of your I mean, what happens if one of your guys goes on vacation? Does the whole project fall apart? What happens if you go on vacation? Does the whole project fall apart? So I guess what you're saying is, you know, spread spread the stuff around so that work can continue without one person.
2: Yeah, getting rid of those soul dependencies. But you know, it's interesting. We have this cultural problem. It's like you feel like you need to be essential to the project. Yeah. Or you're worthless. Like if I'm either absolutely critical or there's no point in me being here, you'll, you'll fire me at any moment. It just seems insane. And the outcome is people get addicted to work
0: because they, when, when they work, they, they feel like they have no life and you know, the whatever. And so then they go home and they feel, Oh, well, I got no life. I might as well be at work. <laughs> so it feeds itself.
1: It's kind of related to the cliche about, you know, you should write awful code that only you
0: understand because of job security. Job security, right. right. Yeah. Job
2: security through com- making things confusing.
0: Security through obscurity in a career
2: way. So what's the picture here? Chalk outlines at a bus stop? Could be, sure.
0: Well, I, if I've got to think we can come up with something funnier than that. Yeah. But that certainly drives the point home, Richard.
2: Yeah. I'm a, maybe I'm a little hamfisted there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't actually say you're shoving somebody in front of a bus.
0: Right.
3: And well, the bus could crash through your building and, you know, be in the middle of Cube Farm.
2: There that's the picture you want. You put the photo of a bus in a building.
0: Yeah. With a drive-through sign on the out, outside of the building. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah that's that's the a good a funny enough picture he's gonna it carries you a long way doesn't it
1: true yeah definitely and we do expect to reuse some of the principles we've done before i mean this would be the fifth calendar we've done um we toyed around with doing a greatest hits uh calendar essentially where you know some of the the 45 or whatever original ideas we've done since we did repeat don't repeat yourself maybe the 47 i don't know um, but bringing back some of those, reimagining the imagery for them, and, and you know, listing them again, uh, because we've already used up so many excellent software principles that uh, you know it's probably worth repeating a few of them.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, and the principles are still the principles. It's just a different way to manifest it too. Just because you've come up with one funny visualization around something doesn't mean you you couldn't address it again. Exactly. exactly. Although the collective ownership one is a really interesting thing, I, I go both ways on this. You know, there's part of me that says it's really great that someone takes responsibility for a piece of code and, and owns it really seriously. Uh, You know, put some pride behind making it as well as they can, and at least shares it with at least one other person to resist the bus factor. But when you try and think everybody owns all code, it easily turns into nobody owns any code.
3: So along with that, I, I would actually say that. Well, yes, it's it's definitely true that you want someone to really, uh, well, this is a terrible way of phrasing it, but uh, take ownership of a section of the code. Yeah. But what I really think there is that even if I'm the main guy that works on that section of code, there shouldn't be a problem with someone else coming in and working on it. And that's yeah. really what collective code ownership's trying to avoid, is this guy hoarding all this big section of the code. Keep out. Don't work on this. This is mine. Right,
1: right? Yeah. so
2: you, I love the hoarder idea, right? A guy surrounded by stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, or or a fiefdom with a moat around it. I mean, that's, that's it. The, yep. the visualization
2: I have. Because that's the real thing you're fighting against, is not trying to include everybody, but so much stopping people from, you know, nobody touches my code.
3: Exactly. It's not an everyone owns the code, it's an anyone can own the code. Right. So.
2: Well, I think it's a good measure of the quality of your code that somebody else can step in and know where to go, you know, has some sense of what they would work on, how they could make improvements to it or anything like that. Not just, you know, how often do you look at someone else's code and go, what were you thinking?
1: Yeah, and we've been proponents of a lot of the extreme programming practices, which, which a lot of these come from. Um, and related to that is the whole idea of pair programming where you know, you're developing the software literally with someone sitting next to you, designing it as you go, ideally writing tests that leverage the interface for that software. And you know every time you come to a design decision, like what should I name this variable, you've got another member of the team there that's helping you with that so that at least two members of the team agree on what that naming should be.
2: Right. Gives you a sanity check. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again.
0: Yep. Time to offer up our new half naked, overweight, middle aged developer calendar.
2: Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't do it.
0: Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. It's actually uh, time to give away a D experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero.
2: Awesome, dude. Who's our winner?
0: Today's winner is Russ Wilson from Chattanooga, Tennessee.
2: Congratulations. Woo-hoo. Golf clap for you, sir.
0: Golf clap for you, sir. And when upon receiving the notice, he wrote back an email that says, I love this show. I listen religiously. Today's show on actor models was very entertaining. Also, the geek outs are such a great idea. Seriously, if you, Richard, and Neil deGrasse Tyson were to form some sort of army, I would follow you guys to war. <laughs> <laughs> when you guys speak, I listen. Thanks again.
2: Ah, uh, so, Physics army.
0: You're welcome, Russ. <laughs> and that probably won't happen anytime soon, but it's fun to think about. Yep. And uh, Russ just won the D Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from Developer Express. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win and we like to ask our guest, Steve, you know the drill, but uh, Brendan, you might not. We'll ask each of you in turn. First you, Steve, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? I would probably put it toward a Tesla car. Wow. So you'd put it toward a down payment toward a Tesla car. Yeah. Maybe after
1: <laughs> like 20 years of winning, I could uh, afford to get a Tesla. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, l- I love Teslas. I've, I've enjoyed every ride I've ever taken in one.
1: Yeah, yes, here, car. The, the the inside of it is definitely built for geeks. Absolutely.
0: Well, Brendan, what would you buy?
3: Well, to be honest, hearing Steve's suggestion, I would probably do the same thing. Considering I'm the guy that you know was wearing a Tesla hat this morning, ah, and doesn't actually own a Tesla. Uh, but what I was going to say is, uh, I actually want to get a whole bunch of sound equipment, new microphone, uh, nice recording setup at my home, so I can. Uh, do a lot of recording of uh, good coursework and things like that. I actually saw uh, an interesting suggestion of equipment from Troy Hunt, who posted a a video of the new equipment that he purchased uh, a couple of months ago, and I was thinking about getting the same setup, which isn't quite $5,000, but would at least eat a big chunk of that.
0: It's surprising how cheap a gear is, and it really puts the focus – of quality on the environment that you record in, not the gear. And yep. yeah. And so eliminating bounces and, and, uh, you know, audio bouncing all over the room. That's really in reflections. That's what you need to do. Um, the most compelling and easiest and cheapest solution I've found is to get U-Haul blankets. You know, the U-Haul furniture blankets, and then they also have – U-Haul has these felt blankets. You put those behind the furniture blankets and wrap it in a sort of a U-shape. You can put the uh, the anglets, you know, the the little holes on the top. You can put screws in the ceiling and uh, hang it in a sort of a U around the microphone so that it's in back of you. And that's key because if you have a microphone on a stand facing you – it's the reflections in back of you that are coming into the microphone. So if you make like a, a crescent or a half circle shape or a U shape around the microphone with it, then uh, it works really well. And they're only like 12 bucks a piece.
1: What's the uh, spouse acceptance factor on uh, decorating the house like that, though?
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, your alternative is to get a $5,000 recording booth. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> you just asked me what I'd do with $5,000 yeah, and There you go.
0: <laughs> well, if you want the boost that Richard and I have, you can go to soundsuckers.com. We have four by six recording booths, and they're five grand. Awesome. So, there you go. Little tip. Nice. Here's another little tip for podcasters. If you have a microphone, like a large diaphragm uh, condenser microphone, don't get a desk stand. Yeah. Because when you tap the keyboard, it goes thump, 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 thump. Get a floor stand with a boom. Okay. That's enough podcasting tips for today.
2: (laughs) We did a whole show on it, dude. I know. 1100. I know. Uh, People liked it. Yeah. It was a good show. All right. Shall we dive back into the feature list here? Head first.
0: Uh Steve when i see new is glue that intrigued me and on looking at it it says that anytime you use new to instantiate an object you're essentially gluing the implementation your code to the implementation right
1: That's right yeah the idea be- behind new is glue is that you just want to be aware that every time you're instantiating something you're you're tying that code you're tightly coupling that code to a particular implementation uh and it might be that that's okay Uh, and and, obviously you have to use the new keyword in your software somewhere typically if you're if you're going to do anything Um, but you want to make sure you're making that decision at the right location. Um, New is glue is very similar to another anti-pattern called static cling um, that I actually just added to the list (laughs) and that's where you get the same effect where you're calling static methods Um, and you know newing up a, a string is is no big deal but if you're newing up something that you know, then in its constructor is making a database call. It's going to be very difficult for somebody to unit test that method that you're in, because now they need to have that database there for that database call to occur. And there's no easy way for them to mock that because you're newing it up right there. There's there's no parameter for them to replace. So
0: that's why you need factories and IOC containers and all of that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's where a lot of that stuff comes from. At least yeah. in the tightly coupled languages that we typically use for you know .NET development.
0: So I have a great visual for this, and it's a d- developer with a huge bottle of glue that looks like Elmer's. So people recognize it, but you obviously can't use the brand. Um, but, and, and then just pieces of paper that say object stuck to everything in the room, stuck to the forehead, <laughs> stuck to the computer, <laughs> stuck to the dog, you know, <laughs> stuck to the keyboard. <laughs> and a guy with a big confused look over on his face or a question mark over his head like huh how did i get here <laughs> <laughs> don't repeat yourself and once and only once isn't that a repeat of don't repeat yourself they're very similar and why would you repeat that
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we could we could repeat it for humorous effect but uh <laughs> once and only once is is slightly different than the don't repeat yourself principle Um, it basically says that you should only state, uh, particular design decisions in your application in one place. So, you know, decide to do that once and only once. Don't repeat yourself is a little bit more general. It refers to more than, than just those types of design decisions. Um, you know, it might be a magic string or something that you can replace with a parameter or a constant. Uh, that would be helping with don't repeat yourself, but not necessarily the same as once and only once. Uh, at least the way the uh, the principle was intended.
2: Interesting. Yeah, and, I get, and now see, we're just going to get immersed in actually writing each of these because they're, they're too much fun. I know you did shipping as a feature before. I think it was a big container ship.
3: Yes, yes. we did. That was in uh, the 2011 calendar.
2: Yeah, there's, th- there's so many other visualizations that could be done there too. Definitely. Uh, but none of them are really silly.
3: I think we tried to do that one a few times uh, in later calendars. We tried to repeat, because some of the times when we would repeat something, it was just to reimagine the idea with uh, a more interesting image.
2: Right. And I mean, that's the name of the game here. Because a lot of these, I mean, these are good principles, and and we've been building software with them. It's just a question of how do you make them into an anti-principle? Yeah. And then, you know, what's kind of the opposite? And then how do you create a visualization that just amuses you? You know, iceberg class is easy because <laughs> it just mm-hmm. need an iceberg the tagline was probably the hard part
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well and that one's not a very well known principle either um, and and a lot of folks would consider at face value it to be uh, a best practice because it's uh, basically referring to a class that has the vast majority of its functionality hidden in private or protected methods most folks would say hey that's good I'm hiding my implementation details Um but what iceberg class is saying is basically that it's it's a better idea to factor that into a few classes that collaborate and each one has a public interface that describes what what it does
2: right yeah as soon as you get to a certain place where it's like you're clearly not single responsibility anymore exactly <laughs> yeah single now res- yeah, you know you can do the iceberg thing around single responsibility and you're like, wow, that's a lot of responsibility yeah.
0: Static Clang, that was one that you said, okay, I won't do that one. Uh, One one that's a little more difficult to encapsulate in a single picture would be something like four rules of simple design. Would you create four panels? And what are the four rules of simple design anyway? So Kent Beck came up with the four
1: rules of simple design in the 90s. And the basic idea is that the, the code should pass all the tests. It should be intention-revealing of what the developer was trying to do. It should eliminate duplication. And it should be done in the, the fewest number of structural elements. And those are essentially in priority order. Uh, so if you have to have uh, more elements in order to achieve the the other three, that's okay because that's the lowest priority. And that's why in a lot of cases when you're following the solid principles, you end up with a lot of, of smaller classes and smaller methods that do one thing and do one thing well. Um, but the the corollary to that is you end up with a lot of these classes. Uh, you just kind of have to be okay with that if you're following these types of
0: principles. So, would you imagine like a four-panel thing passes the tests? Might be you know like a, a student or a dunce cap or something like that. You know, reveals intention might be a spy or something. Somebody who's sort of hiding something. No I don't do- know. This would be yeah.
1: this would be a really tough one to to try and do.
3: Yeah, I think this is a challenging one. If we were going to try to do this, it'd be quite difficult, I think, to be able to represent. Because I think you'd have to do all four as one image.
0: Oh, I would think. okay. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you could, if, I mean that video. would be brilliant if you could
2: figure that out. Yeah, you know what? You want to do the opposite of that and build just this insane machine that clearly has repeating chunks on it. And uh, you have no idea what it does.
0: So you got a kid in the, in, in the classroom, right? Who's clear, who's wearing a dunce cap, who looks, you know, like he's not going to pass a test, taking a test. And he's uh, also uh, wearing uh, like a trench coat, like a spy, maybe for the duplication. You can have a copier that's broken and smoking in the background. And uh, fewest elements, uh, gosh, I'm not sure how that could fit into the picture. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a tough one. That's a Um, tough one.
1: Fortunately, Weston, our designer is awesome at coming up with some of these visuals and uh, he'll sketch up some things. I don't know that we would be able to do this one, even if like the community all voted and said, this was the number one choice. Mm. Uh, or if we did, we might have to to go with something like just listing out the the rules on post-it notes or something on a, on a wall, uh, as the image or, or something, you know, that, that has a little bit of text in it to, to kind of describe what these rules are. Uh, and maybe the, uh, the, the destruction from not follow, following them is is somehow in the backdrop or something like that.
0: Another one that seems like it would be a challenge is the Liskov substitution principle. You guys, you guys did that one once already. You did that one already. Oh, with the duck in the in the uh, decoy. Yeah, that's right. Yep, or the rubber ducky. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I was trying to think of something for that, and there you go. Yeah, that was sort of a play on
1: duck typing.
0: <laughs> All right, if it sounds like a duck, looks like it. Yeah, okay. All right. I think it's a duck. I think it's a duck.
2: What <laughs> it's, about- enough. it's duck enough.
0: What about uh, – you, know, you did the Boy Scout rule before. What is the Boy Scout rule? So the idea
3: with the Boy Scout rule is uh, it is a refactoring principle. Uh, it's the idea that uh, any time you're in any area of code or, you know, any part of the forest or wherever you are as a Boy Scout – you're going to leave things a little bit nicer than you found them. So
0: don't uh, suck, so. in other words.
3: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs>
1: you can but, boil but the that down two words. The corollary to that is that it's okay to just leave the code a little bit better than you found it and still get your job done. You don't have to decide, oh my gosh, this code base is such a mess, I'm going to spend all day just cleaning things up and not actually fix the bug you were supposed to fix or deliver the feature you were supposed to build.
0: Here's a challenge, composition over inheritance. Have you got any visual ideas for that? I mean, there are obviously the, those words mean different things and, you know, you could. Uh, uh, so
3: I do have actually kind of an idea for that one. Uh, I mean, you, you'd almost think if you had, uh, I mean, you could go kind of literal and do like two morphed together creatures, like a dog cat combination, because you know, someone wants to have that as a pet or you could just have two.
0: Yeah, a dog That's and great. a
3: cat, right.
1: And I would think of it as sort of like a, a gadget approach where you've got a thing and then you, you wrap it in something that adds a feature and then you wrap it in something else that adds a feature. You know, maybe it's a phone or a calculator or whatever, but it, it's very obvious that all these features have been added to it to make it one bigger and bigger object as opposed to say a smartphone where you can just compose it from different apps and you don't have to keep building the phone bigger um, with a wrapper every time you want to add a feature to it.
2: Yeah, you know that's sort of cla- There's a classic picture that came out a while ago that was like a bunch of different devices now all replaced by the iPhone. Yeah, you know, like your your GPS device and your cell phone, and so forth. It's yeah, you know, inheritance would be take all those devices, glue them together into a bundle, where composition is the f- iPhone.
0: Yes. Yeah, some sort of Frankenstein device that. You know, I, I imagine like remember in Toy Story, the the kid who would pull dolls' heads off of one doll and put it on another. And, <laughs> you know, something <laughs> making all these crazy uh, inventions. Yeah, that could work. All right, what haven't we talked about here that we could uh, that you might have gotten ideas for? Tell, don't ask. Yeah,
1: we haven't talked about that. Tell, don't ask is a principle we haven't done before. Um, the the idea behind that principle is that you shouldn't ask objects for their state and make decisions based on them. You should just tell the object what it is you want it to do. Uh, it's a little bit related to an anti-pattern we did a couple years ago called flags over objects, um, where, you know, imagine you've got an object... Uh, that has a few different status fields on it and you're going to write some code and it's going to say, well, you know, if object.is foo and if object.is bar, then do something Um, else, do something else. And that behavior, whatever it is that you're doing based on the state of that object could be something that you put into the object itself. Maybe it's formatting something or maybe it's actually, you know, doing some behavior in the system, make that a method, put it on the object. And now it's, you know, object dot do foo and, and the object knows based on its state what it's supposed to do and it returns something appropriately without you having to, to query a bunch of properties and then make some decision based on them.
0: Yep. Yep. That makes total sense. And so do you, you have an idea of uh, a visual for this? Either of you guys? I haven't come up with one yet. How about
1: you?
3: Uh, I don't have an idea for tell don't ask yet.
1: I
2: could, I could see something military there, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, you don't want to make it an aggressive thing because it's not really. It's about simplicity. Right.
1: Right. And it's about putting the behavior where it belongs. In, in object-oriented design, objects are supposed to have state and behavior together. And if you've got anemic objects that don't have any behavior in them, you end up in this state where you end you have a lot of behavior scattered throughout your application instead of encapsulated in the objects.
0: How about you have somebody who's uh, trying to jump off a building you know, and you have somebody talking to them? <laughs> <laughs> Get in here. <laughs> nice. Not, would you like to please come in now? Thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> come here now. Right. Well, you know, then the silly part is, if, you, if I ask you what your state is and then act, in between those two times, it could change anyway. Just tell me what you want. Yes. Is, is, there, a, is there a Starbucks reference here? Like, just tell me what coffee you want. Don't ask me if I have coffee. Oh, that's a good idea. hmm
1: Hmm. That's true. It could be something could, along those you could, lines. You could be that person that's holding up the line at the Starbucks, asking a bunch of questions.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Do you have this? Do you have this? Yeah. yeah. This? Yes, we have coffee. <laughs> Do you ever
0: run into problems with, uh, you know, copyright using brands and stuff like that? Because you, you can't use brands, right? You can't show any brands. We have not yet run into such problems because we haven't shown any brands. Yeah. So I imagine you know you'd have to create what looks like a Starbucks with similar well, just logos a and stuff. Shop, right? yeah. yeah generic
2: coffee shop object yeah yeah
0: <laughs> you know i could see how creating these sets and stuff could be quite expensive
2: yeah time consuming yeah you come up with a great idea you just can't actually make it you know my cake idea involves making a cake
0: what was the one that you had about the lawnmower that also did a million things I think, is it the God object?
3: No, it's like, called the blob. Oh, the blob. And uh, that, the person standing on the on the platform and using the lawnmower is actually the designer uh, that we're working with, Weston.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, his
1: his dog is in that picture, too, I think. And his wife actually took that photograph in his backyard. He had to set all
3: that stuff up. No, 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 no. That, that picture is not the one from his wife. That was when his wife was gone. He actually had a time-delayed camera, and he had to jump up on there and actually get that picture. Oh, you're right. You're right. His neighbors were wondering why he was mowing his lawn in his suit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. One more, and then let's wrap. Stable dependencies principle. A package should only depend upon packages that are more stable than it is. Oh, boy, if we could only do that in real life.
2: Wow, that's Jenga just waiting (laughs) to happen, isn't it? (laughs)
0: So, uh, yeah, Jenga, boy, there's a good one.
3: Yeah. So the idea that we talked about was, uh, the idea that if you needed to get to some high point on a shelf or something like that, you might start stacking things and climb on top of them, uh, uh. in order to be able to reach a high place. And so the smart way to do this would be to have, say a table on the bottom and then, you know, stack a smaller table. So you could climb up onto that one and then maybe on the top you have a chair, the really dumb way to do this would be to start with something like a rolling chair on the bottom, put like a filing cabinet on top of that, you know, have a couple of lamps, and, you know, then maybe put a ladder on the top that's just sort of there. And so the idea is nothing down below you is at all stable. So at any point, it could all just come crashing apart.
0: So if you're doing a vertical slice, you're probably writing all the layers at once, and they're all pretty unstable. So give me a uh, an example of where you're dealing with a dependency that is not stable, real from the real world? So
3: the main thing that you're usually depending on when you're writing code is a database. And one of the best ways to violate this principle and end up in a bad situation is to depend on a database that you don't control, for example. So if some other team can decide whenever they want to change the structure of the database or change out any of the fields or classes that you need to work with, uh, you can certainly run into a problem there because all of a sudden everything shifted out from underneath you and you're left fixing all of your code to account for this change because that was not a stable thing to depend on because you didn't have control of it. So yeah. uh, it's whenever you know about the implementation of something that you're really going to run into a problem with stable dependencies. So you want to be depending on some kind of an abstraction layer so that uh, you don't have to deal with any implementation changes that come up.
0: Sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. Hey, guys, we're just about out of time, but I just want to thank you very much for uh, doing the calendars in the first place and you know, imparting your wisdom on us and uh, helping us share in your experience.
1: They've been a lot of fun. We appreciate um, all the feedback we get from the community that, uh, that purchased them and, and came up on their wall all year long. So we've really loved doing
3: them. Yeah, but. it's really great hearing all the feedback from people on Twitter and everything so we're
0: right. looking forward to that again that's great and uh, good luck with your Kickstarter campaign and we'll see you sometime in the future thanks thank you and thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on .Net Rocks